Well, if you'd open your Bibles back up to first uh, to Second Samuel, chapter uh, twenty-one. I want to uh, start off this morning just talking about life weariness. Sometimes in life, we, uh, we just get weary. We kind of get worn out. And it's not, uh, it's not just physically. It can be emotionally and relationally and spiritually. We, we just start to wear down. We don't have enough energy to, to fight anymore. And it may uh, be because of, of a lot of things building up in our life. But uh, often, there's that one wearisome issue. That one thing that you've been dealing with and, and fighting against that just keeps coming back. And although you've had some victory over it at, at times, eventually it just seems to wear you down. And, uh, and it's so discouraging. Maybe it's a health issue that's just plagued you for years. Reoccurring migraines or back issues, those will do it. Some digestive issues, immune system issues that just sap your energy, wear you down. Maybe it's a relational issue, marriage issue, an ongoing family issue, a struggling child. It seems to always be there and it's wearing you down. An employment issue, situation at work that never seems to get resolved and it seems to be getting worse. Whatever it is, it's that thing that just wears you out. And then you add to it this year, right? This whole pandemic situation that just won't go away. Just by itself, is, it's exhausting. But on top of, of these other issues, it's enough to make you want to throw in the towel. I, I know that's how many of you feel. I know that's how I've felt a lot this year. I'll be honest with you, I am not a, a pessimistic person, not a, a naturally depressive person at all. My wife will tell you, like, how is he? She would always say to me, how do you wake up every day happy? That's, that's my natural disposition, but this has been a hard year. And I think I've struggled with depression for the first time in my life. And I found myself just feeling weary. Now, if you can relate to this, and I think... Most of us can, at least at some level, life weariness. If you can't, you're probably young and you will. You will. It comes. So what do we do? How do we respond? How do we work through this as Christians? Well, I think this text helps us. I have to say, not this text alone. This text alone, you read through it, and it's just kind of depressing. But when we understand this in relationship to God's big kingdom work in the Bible and how it's fulfilled in Jesus, there's some really encouraging stuff to think about here. Okay, so let's take a look at, uh, let's start at verse 15 here. Let's read a little bit. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel. And David went down together with his servants and they fought against the Philistines. And David grew weary. And Ishbi Benab, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came 
to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Let's, let's stop there. Now this whole section, and I mean this whole little war log that we have here in this epilogue, does two things for us as readers. First, it reminds us of one of David's marquee features as Israel's king, and that is warrior. David was a warrior king. Yes, as God's anointed, we've seen David painted as a lot of things. He's a shepherd king who, who cared tenderly for his people. He's an obedient, faithful king, at least compared to Saul, a man after God's own heart, foreshadowing our Savior king. He was a failed, human, sinful king, i.e. Bathsheba, Uriah, leaving us yearning for a better king. He was a repentant and contrite king, penning many psalms of lament, including the famous Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. He was a gentle king who offered grace towards his people, always pursuing peace for him, them. But one characteristic, one portrayal that, that seemed to stand out over all of them is David as a warrior king. From the very start, this is how we're introduced to David. You see, the Philistines had been this perennial enemy of God's people, always attacking them and trying to destroy them. And this is what caused, actually, the Israelites to ask for a king in the first place, right? If you remember this from 1 Samuel, they wanted a king like the other nations to lead them into battle against the Philistines, because the Philistines kept getting the best of them. And of course, they selected Saul, the man who was head and shoulders above everybody in the land. He was the man for the job, the big man. And this was Saul's commission, actually. In 1 Samuel 9, 16, it says, He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. That was to be his main job. But as we know, he failed over and over to do it until one day a shepherd boy shows up at the battlefield. And there was not, there was not one man brave enough in Israel to face the great Philistine nemesis Goliath, the nine-foot-nine-inch giant whose armor weighed more than David. And it was taunting the armies of Israel as they sat in fear. And the shepherd boy, when he showed up, he said, I, I don't think so. And then we have one of the, the, the best you know, pre-battle monologues. You know, in the movies, they're always about to fight, and then they start to monologue. This is what I'm going to do to you. And you're like, wow, this, this isn't good. Well, we have that in, in the Bible, in, in, at the battle with David and Goliath. Before they actually fight, let me read it. It says, And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you came to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver your, 
your, you into the, my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that the Lord is, a, is God in Israel. And all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and the spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And then, of course, as we know, David ran headlong at him with nothing but a sling and a few rocks, and it was lights out before it even started, and then David cut off his head. And you know the, 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 the statues, you always see David holding up the head, there's a famous statue in one hand and a sword in the other. You know what the truth is? He had both hands on that head. That was a big head. And from then on, David just crushed the Philistines. He was a warrior from the very start, and he crushed them over and over again. Let me, I'm just going to read from uh, 1 Samuel right after the battle. You go to chapter 18, verse 27. It says, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. The next chapter, 19, verse 8, and there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then you get to the end of, of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 23, actually chapter 20, yeah, 23, verse 5, and it says this, And David and his men went to Kaliah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow so that David and save, saved the inhabitants of Kaliah. Then when we move into 2 Samuel chapter 5, we get to verse uh, 19, it says this, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them in my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines in your hand. And David came to Belparazim, and David defeated them there. Then we get to chapter 8, verse 1. And after this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And it goes on through the chapters until you get to 19, right before our text where Absalom has been killed and David is coming back to Jerusalem and the Israelites are talking about what they should do. And what do they say? David is the one who defeats the Philistines for us. He should be our king. This is how David started. This is how David fought all the way through, defeating the Philistines over and over again. And this is how he finishes. He is Israel's warrior king who fights valiantly and saves his people from their enemies. And this author, at the, in this epilogue at the end of 2 Samuel, gives this war log to remind us of this, of the great exploits of David and his men taking down the Philistine, the Philistine giants. He highlights the giants, if you notice. I mean, that's what we have here. It's four quick snapshots of David and his men not only defeating the Philistines, but taking down their greatest giant. So in verse 16 of our text, we have uh, Ishbi Benab, however you say his name, with his 300 shekel, that's like six-pound spearhead. That's how big the head of his spear was. And it says he has a new sword. He's taken down by Abishai. And then we have Zaph in, in verse 18, another giant taken down by Sebekai, uh, the Hushite. Then we have verse 19, Goliath, the Gittite, taken out, taken out by Elhana. 
And we need to asterisk him because when we read the text, it sounds pretty much like, hey, this is the exact same Goliath that it seemed that David killed. He seems to have the same, the same weaponry, the same weaver's beam. And, and, uh, but what we realize is when we go to 1 Chronicles 20, it tells us that Ohana actually killed Goliath's brother, who was also a giant and who unremarkably had almost the exact same weaponry as Goliath. So I think maybe there's a, probably in transmission, there's a little, maybe a word left out of here, the word brother. So it seems a little confusing. But basically, this is Goliath's brother he killed. And finally, we have a giant who doesn't have a name, but he has a lot of digits. <laughs> 24 to be exact. Picture this guy. Talk about a grip, right? High-sixing everybody. <laughs> and he's taunting you in battle. Come t- with all these fingers. That's a creepy guy. <laughs> but of course, one of David's little nephews, Jonathan, takes him down. And we have the, the summary verse, verse 22 at the end. Then f- these four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. David was a warrior king to the end. You can't deny that about his life. He was known for it. But this little war log that we have here also reminds us of one other thing about David at this time. What is it? It's in the very first verse, verse 15. It says, There was war again between the Philistines and Israel, And David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. It's not what you expect. Every other time it says, and they fought against the Philistines with David, and he defeated them. They fought against David, and he subdued them. They fought against the Philistines, and he crushed them, just over and over again. And we get here, and it says, and they fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. The warrior king is tired. He's worn out. In fact, David's men decide in verse 17 that he's, that he's done in battle. The risk is, is too great. This is what it says. Then David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. You can't, go, you can't die. We'll lose the, the, the light of Israel, that, that strength, that, that guiding light. But what's interesting in this text is, although David's wearing down, the Philistines aren't, are they? It starts with, there was war again. And then we get verse 18. After this, there was again war. Verse 19, and there was again war. Verse 20, and there was again war. David's wearing down. And that perennial issue, those Philistines just keep coming. David is weary and exhausted but the battle doesn't end, it's never ending, it's exhausting. So of course, as readers, the projection is, is a little bit dire in our minds. How long can, can they hold out, Israel? David's not getting younger and stronger, he will fail them, he is limited. He is human, he will die. In fact, we know that's exactly what happens Not only does he eventually die, but his kingdom is eventually completely 
wiped out. The scriptures talk about the great tree being cut down to a stump. Now, as I said earlier, this story by itself is just kind of depressing. Not much hope for the weary. But this is where we've got to let the the bigger picture come in, let the story come down to us, because it doesn't sit alone. It's in in a big narrative of Scripture that asks us to to look up, to cast our eyes forward to the fulfillment of this Davidic shadow, the promised son of David, who, who we've seen, he's been, he's been promised that he'll be the very son of God and he'll bring a forever kingdom. We must look forward. And the prophets exhort us to. In fact, Isaiah 11, what does it say? It talks about a shoot. <coughs> Excuse me, it talks about that stump that's been cut down. It talks about a shoot sprouting out of that. And that shoot is going to become a great kingdom through which the Gentiles will even come in and be ruled and have hope. Romans 15, Paul picks that up and says, that's Jesus. He is the fulfillment. Matthew tells us at the beginning of his gospel, he opens up and says, Jesus, son of Abraham, the son of David. He's the fulfillment, the promised anointed kings. And that's good news for us today for the weary and the tired and the exhausted. The good news is that we don't fight with David as our king, we fight with Jesus as our king. We fight with a king who doesn't grow weary, who doesn't slowly lose strength over time so that we have to work harder and harder as he fades and struggles. No, we fight for a king who draws off the strength of his divine, eternal, all-powerful nature. A king that when his disciples are completely exhausted as he's about to go to the greatest battle of his life and they're falling asleep in the garden, this king goes forward without them and conquers sin and the evil of the world and death itself and then rises in victory. And it changes everything. It means we fight very differently than David's men. That we struggle today in a very different way than David's men. I want to point out three ways that we fight differently as servants of Jesus and soldiers of Jesus. First of all, unlike David's men, we fight from victory, not for it. We fight in and from victory, not for it. David's men, you got to hand it to them, had been, had been valiantly fighting the greatest giants in the land because they had seen David overcome this great giant, Goliath, kind of the king of the giants. And they saw that, that David did it because God was fighting for them and they just needed to go forward in faith. But the thing is, They had to keep fighting. One victory wasn't enough. The enemy just kept coming. And each time they had a fight and a victory, there was another one and another one and another one. It was this endless struggle, and it's a very precarious position for sinful, limited human beings to be in. 
especially if your king is fading. It eventually didn't go well, and they wore down and failed. But we don't fight for victory. We fight from it. This text, note, as I said, says there was war again with the Philistines, and there was war again with the Philistines, and there was war again with the Philistines, and there was war again with the Philistines. But what did Jesus say at the cross as he had victory over the most gigantic of our enemies, the evil one, sin, and even death? He said, it is finished. So what does that mean? Do we do nothing now? No, we fight from victory. As we struggle with sinful issues and addictions and temptations and and the persecutions of this world, we know that Satan has been disarmed at the cross. That's 1 Colossians 2.15. He has nothing on us, no guilt or shame to accuse us with because Jesus already paid the price and washed us clean. He has nothing. We're not condemned, but we're saved. And it changes everything. We fight from victory. And as we are are wearied and worn down by constant physical ailments and disease and aging and perhaps a battle for our own mental health, we know Jesus has already overcome death and has risen to new life and has secured for all of us resurrection life and fresh, perfected bodies and minds. We fight and we struggle from victory. And as we struggle in this crazy and confusing world with relational and and emotional turmoil and anxiety and familial dysfunction that just wears us to the bone, we must remember Jesus has already secured our rest in heaven, our perfect home where righteousness reigns and all is put right. No more tears, the scripture tells us. David's men were constantly fighting to preserve the rest in peace of the promised land. It was on them to keep it. Ours is done. The victory is won. There is rest right now for our souls. But we don't just fight from victory with Jesus as our king. We also fight in the light. We have full revelation it's interesting how in, in, in verse 13 here, it says that David's men removed him from the battlefield because they were worried that if he was killed, the lamp of Israel would be quenched. The idea seems to be that, that because of, of his status, of David's status as the anointed, he gave them a kind of a, of a light in the darkness that was this hope of victory and, and was guiding them and leading them as, as a people. So, so they're guarding and they're protecting him because he's, he, he can't be quenched. This fading light is starting to dim. But what do the scriptures tell us about Jesus, our king? Is he, is he a little lamp? No, he is the light of the world. John 1, 5, speaking of Jesus, says, The light shines in the darkness, speaking of him coming to the world, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
He's not in danger of being quenched by the dark. He overcomes the dark. I once read an illustration. They said it's like when you turn on a light switch. That light goes through the room and, and, and overcomes all the dark, every nook and cranny. It fills it. That's what Jesus has done for us in this world. In John 8, 12, it says, uh, it says this of Jesus. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We fight, we struggle, we walk in the light, the gospel light of life as we follow Jesus. And think about what that means. It means exposure, right? It means exposure of the things in the dark that seem so scary, these big, scary things in front of us for what they really are. You ever notice how things always look much scarier in the dark? Even things that aren't scary, right? I walk into my house, and out of the side of my eye, I see that coat rack with a hat on it in the shadow, and I'm like, Ugh! And then I turn the light on, my wife's like, what's the matter? And I'm like, that coat rack almost got you. But I was here. I took over. Darkness exacerbates our fear. This is why scary wood isn't open in the afternoon. It would be a joke, but at night, it freaks us out. This is the nature of our evil, dark world when experienced as sinful human beings. The issues and the struggles that come can seem so intimidating and so overwhelming that we just, they just wear us down and they freak us out and they fray our nerves so we feel like we can't take it anymore. I think this is how these giant stories are supposed to operate for us. I mean, talk about intimidating situations, right? Goliath is almost 10 feet tall, weighs about 500 pounds, 300 pounds of armor. A spear made of a weaver's beam. This is intimidating. This is overwhelming. Ishbi Benab. Not only is, a giant, is he a giant, but it says here that he has a new sword. The idea is he has the newest technology in weaponry. He's like a giant Terminator. He's a scary, scary guy. He has the best technology. And then the guy with the 24 digits. That's just unfair. These just seem like overwhelming issues, problems. But with just a little light, that lamp that David brings as he stands before Goliath and says, no, 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 you're fighting against the living God. And then he takes that guy down with a rock. With just a little light, David's men are bolstered and, 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 and even David's little nephew is taking down giants because he can see the truth. My friends, we have the full light of Jesus, of his gospel-saving work, the light of the word of God kind of shining this truth into every area of life so that all these intimidating circumstances and issues that seem overwhelming in the dark can be exposed for what they are. 
the relentless relational issues that keep coming back really are not that scary. That financial dilemma that won't go away, not that big really. That terminal diagnosis, you know what, it's actually not terminal because there is no terminal for those in Christ. He is the light of life so that we can say, death, where is your sting? And you know, the full light of our king brings not only exposure of the, of the darkness, but it exposes the reality of our salvation as well, right? Exposes that our, our enemies aren't what we think they are, but it also exposes our incredible Savior. On the one hand, we, we get to see the salvation work worked out on the cross, something David's men never got to see, something the prophets, First Peter tells us, long to look into. How is it going to happen? We stand privileged. We see it finished. And we have it explained in the Gospels. We have it proclaimed in Acts. We have it applied in the epistles. But more than this, we get the other end as well. If you were here for the series on Revelation, you saw it. It's, it's a book of light. It's a book of revelation that shows us that Jesus is not only reigning on his throne right now, holding his church in his hands, but he's coming back, not as a slain lamb, but as a warrior king to judge to save, to put all things right, to bring us home. That's some awesome light that we live in, that we struggle in, and it should bolster our weary hearts. And then finally, I, I want to point out one more way that we fight differently than David's men, and that is that we fight with our king. You may have noticed that David isn't even in the last three battles here. They have to go at it without him. They have to go at it alone. But our king promised his disciples when he was on this earth before he ascended to his throne in heaven, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. He promised he would always be with them, strengthen them as they stood as his witnesses in this world. And then he kept that promise, right? He sent his spirit at Pentecost upon his people. And since then, he comes to live in everyone who puts their faith in him. This means we're never alone in the battle. This means power and strength that's beyond our own. We toil and we strive in the power of the spirit. Colossians 1.29, that's what Paul says. He talks about how he's striving and toiling in the powerful spirit of God that's working in him. So it's not easy. We do toil, we do strive, but it's in the power of God who's in us. It also means that we're not alone. We're comforted in our afflictions. Our God, our King, the one who's entered into our sufferings in this world and conquered is now with each one of us in our struggles in a way David's men never had. And it means we will not be overcome. We will face troubles, but we will be able to bear up under them and get through. Because greater is he that's in us. My friends, unlike David's men who fought valiantly, 
with the little light they had, we fight from victory, not for it. It's done. We fight in the full light of the gospel. And we fight with our king always with us. This is great news. It means for the weary and the worn out, we really can rest even now. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are so privileged to live this side of the cross, to live in your kingdom where your son reigns, to be able to live in his victory. Help us, as as you call us to, to walk in the light, to walk in your victory, to rest in your son. We pray these things in his name. Amen.